one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Offscript, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on my Sunday sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. And I am excited to get started today with the first sermon of our stewardship series. Yep. It's always the series that you're like, Whoop. should I invite my friend to church oh, or not? 100%. First time visitors love a good stewardship <laughs> They sermon. sure do. They're yes. like, see, this is why we don't go to church. This is why I came back to church. <laughs> <laughs> they always ask for money. Yeah. I always feel like when I would invite people, it would always be either like money or like on some obscure topic where I'm like, I feel, oh gosh, oh no, oh, this is so cringy. So, yeah. but you should still invite people to church. All the time. And uh, listen, stewardship is, in all seriousness, is a very important topic. It I is. Jo- I joked about it at the 11 o'clock yeah. um, during the greeting time. Yeah, Everybody's get, favorite subject. Yep. You get a little more... Lucy Goosey by 11. It's fun I to see the progression. I up by 11, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it's, I don't even know how many. I rehearsed it several times before Sunday morning, but then 8.45 is always, you know, I mean. You're like, let's see how this goes. It's early. You can't really tell how, how the jokes are going to land, mm-hmm. you know. They usually they don't <laughs> land, at least in my experience. And you're pretty funny. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, geez, tough crowd. No. 845 crowd's great. It's just, you know, you're just trying to fill it out. You have to figure out, like, how do I actually say it? How does it land? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a bit. But by 11, you're just, like, wheels off sometimes. (laughs) It's great. I'm like, what's he going to say? I don't know. (laughs) It's exciting for me. Keeps me awake because it's the third time I've heard it. You know, no. Um, But, no, I thought it was stewardship. It can be very hard to talk about, especially to make it, like, fresh or um, inspiring. Mm -hmm. And I thought. Yesterday was a really good, good message. Thanks. I I don't hate stewardship sermons. I know a lot of pastors do, but when I was at um, in Sherman, we did a big capital campaign, a big one, biggest one in the history of the church, and we had hadn't done a capital campaign there in twenty years. And we had um, our two co-chairs were two wonderful members of the congregation, Gail Utter and Oscar Page. And Oscar is the past president of Austin College, and he is a tremendously effective fundraiser. And he gave me a book before we got in too far into the capital campaign by Henry Nowen, who's a wonderful theologian, called The Spirituality of Fundraising. It's really good. And I recommended it to all the you know, the new clergy, younger clergy on staff because it just reframes it. You know, um, stewardship is not exactly fundraising. It's not exactly the same thing. You're, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a one-off project you're uh, trying to raise funds for as part of our spirituality, as part of, our, part of who we are as Christians. Um, but when... When Whitney and I were just starting, like coming back to church as young adults, um, we had stewardship season every year at our church, that little neighborhood church down the road, Rappo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the little chapel. The little chapel. <laughs> and uh, we, like, it was a kind of a month long season, mm-hmm. but um, the pastor, who I love dearly, still a dear friend and mentor uh, never really talked directly about expectations 
And yeah. I'm my personality is such that, like, I need you to tell me what I'm, I may or may not get to the goal, yeah. but you need to tell me what. Yeah, you're kind of direct. I'm pretty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think direct is clear as kind is what clear Brene as kind Brene Brown, yeah. right? And I think clear is good, and um, you know we're Methodist, so we don't do a whole lot of anything judgmentally. <laughs> So that also makes it easier that you can just talk plainly about it. Yeah. No, I think I would agree that I think it's an important topic that I do think. I mean, I didn't feel like I got trained very well in seminary about how to go about Did it. Not, no. no. Um, I agree with that. And and so I think a lot of pastors tiptoe around it, like you, you know, aren't very direct about it or they right. just feel so awkward. They kind of avoid it, which, like you said, is a really key component of our discipleship. And so I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. it can be awkward at first, but in my experience, as little as fundraising as I've done, like personally, like people actually are very um, excited to be part of something and like some people are waiting for you to ask (laughs) so they can be part of a hundred percent. I don't know. So yeah, I agree. My predecessor in Sherman who retired out of that church, Jim Pledger, very funny. God rest his soul. He's He's going on to his eternal reward at this point. Mm-hmm. Super funny guy. He used to be a DS. He used to do one stewardship sermon a year, and it would kind of lay out the budget and tell everybody what they needed. And he was an excellent fundraiser, kind of for one-off projects. <laughs> but he always he always used to call it the sermon on the amount. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and everyone in Sherman knew it that way. Yeah. Uh, so that, that makes me laugh every time I think about it. Sermon on the amount. I love it. Um <laughs> Okay, so in your sermon, you talk about how there's obviously a lot of different doctrines of Christian faith. You kind of, was it the sermon before we talked about how there's like 41,000 yeah. Christian yeah. denominations? <laughs> denominations. Right. But what about doctrines of like tithing or giving? Bad ones, good ones? What's, talk about that for a second. Uh, I think every, I think every denomination thinks of it a little bit differently. So in, in the Methodist tradition, it, there are five doctrinal standards that are laid out in the discipline. Um, articles of religion, the confession of faith, the sermons of Wesley, the general, general rules of our United societies, and then his explanatory notes upon the new Testament in those five doctrinal standards specifically. I don't think there's one that's, that's called out for stewardship. Um, I mean, the general rules get there. Mm-hmm. They, they talk a fair amount about generosity, but yeah. there's not like a, here's your goal for giving kind of thing. So that's in the Methodist tradition. Um, and there are, uh, like the expectations are clearly set there for personal generosity. And Wesley was <laughs> crazy about it. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> and Wesley, uh, this may come up this year or may not, but Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Yep. The thing about that is there was a whole generation, like he, Wesley was very serious about reaching out to those on the margins. And those early Methodists were oftentimes from the lower classes. And so there's a, a a thriftiness that's inherent in Wesley's practical theology that really did um, help a whole generation of Methodists get pulled out of poverty. And but <laughs> so the earn all they can, all, earn all you can we're good with mm-hmm. save all you can you know that doesn't like we we interpret that today think of like you know put ten percent in four hundred one k yeah or you know save for college and all that kind of stuff. But what Wesley meant by that was spend as little as possible on things. And he was not a fan of like, he would definitely have not been 
a fan of my co- coffee snobbery. I mean, the, uh-huh. the amount of money we spend on coffee in my house because <laughs> of me is ridiculous. Wesley's going to have an issue yeah. with that when I get to heaven someday. Um, and then for Wesley, give all you can meant like the rest of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, that that's definitely part of Methodist ethos. Yeah. No, that's helpful mm-hmm. that it's been around because I think some people say, oh, this this whole concept of stewardship or tithing was this recent invention or something. Know, but far it's from it. Far from it. <clears throat> far from it. It's uh, it's pr- pretty deeply ingrained in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. And the standard really is 10%. 10% of your first fruits. That's what everyone should be giving. Mm-hmm. Adam Hamilton at Church of the Resurrection does a good thing on this. He's very direct about it. And I can't remember. It was one, one of his, I mean, I love Adam, but he's putting out a new book series every yeah, month, right? he just did why we started this podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, uh, again, that's said with tremendous amount of affection because Adam's terrific. Oh yeah. Uh, but he, he, at one point I heard him say from the pulpit, like tithing doesn't mean your general philanthropic budget is 10%. It means you give 10% to the church and whatever else you give beyond that is up to you. Mm. <laughs> Cause a lot of people kind of think of it as, okay, first of all, the, the percentage of Christians who actually reach the 10% tithe is pretty low, mm-hmm. but we kind of gener- that we think of our here's my general budget for philanthropy generosity yeah and you know here's how much I give to my college from that here's how much I give to my college here's how much I give to Sarah McLaughlin on her SPCA commercials <laughs> yeah. here's how much I give to the church <clears throat> and the, we think of it collectively yeah but that's not that's not really the way generosity is thought of in the tradition hmm. yeah okay so uh, the passage. Uh, our book we're using is Mark these next few weeks, your favorite mm-hmm. gospel or fourth <laughs> favorite. <laughs> it is always fourth in the power rankings. Yeah. Do you know what the power rank, do you know the proper ordering of the power well, rankings of the gospels? For you, it's John well, like way, general. way up in the like, clouds, first, yes. like no one's touching it. Right. True. That's true. And then Preach. do you do Luke Matthew? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Luke yeah. Matthew, then yeah. Mark. 100%. Yeah. Luke's got the Christmas stuff in it. Yeah, that's how I figured. The prodigal son, the Good Samaritan. Yeah. It's... Matthew gets all the rules. Mm-hmm. So, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> you want the birth story? You want the Christmas story or the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. I mean, no disrespect, Jesus. Right. The Sermon on the Mount is tough, though. Yeah, it is. It's a little tough, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, okay, so you focused on Mark, and in this passage, you say that Mark is talking to a variety of people, including... The Herodians? Herodians, yeah, Herodians. So who who were the Herodians? What was their power or place in society? So for Mark, uh, this is like, these are ver- various categories of people connected with the religious and political establishment. And those folks were almost universally in, a, in opposition to the ministry of Christ, which actually makes it more surprising that the scribe engages with him in a... Uh, in a respectful way, like as a peer, mm-hmm. I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the, in the, on that in the sermon. But he he doesn't he doesn't confront him. He really wants to know what Jesus' opinion is because he he sees that he knows what he's talking about. And at the end, Jesus kind of compliments him back, <laughs> and it's kind of a like a little mini love fest there between yeah. Jesus and a religious leader, which is unusual. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, did the Herodians like? Did they have any background or special? education or no i think they were just those who were 
affiliated with the power structure. Okay. And, and therefore, so Herod. Yeah. yeah. And therefore, not in the good guy camp. Yeah. For Mark. In this, you know, people are kind of grilling Jesus on what is most important. Why do you think people, like, do you think people are surprised by his response? Do you think they were going to stump him? What do you think the motivation? Well, for the um, for the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were asking about taxes. They were trying to trip him up, trying to, you know, catch him in yeah. something that's going to, where he's going to be in some kind of self-contradiction. That was not a friendly question. Sadducees were asking about the re- resurrection, thinking that they could kind of catch him in some kind mm-hmm. of self-contradiction. The scribe asked a question that was not an uncommon one. So of all the, you know, like if you were trying to boil down the law into mm-hmm. the big the big rules or the the themes maybe, what would it be? And uh, <laughs> I, it's, a very, it's a really familiar paraphrase. I mean, all three of the Gospels record Jesus as saying there are two great commandments, love God, love neighbor. John has just one. That's a whole separate conversation. But I, don't, I, I can't imagine they would have been surprised by his response. Okay. The scribe. I mean, I, I think, because the scribe actually says, you're right. It is these two, and it doesn't really matter about, um, he refers to uh, kind of cultic practices, the religious practices about whole burnt offerings and all that. Like, that's not the point so much as loving God and loving neighbors, the point. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of sets the trajectory for um, for the practice of Christian theology or the practice of the Christian life ever since, really, mm-hmm. is that these are the two main themes. And we might argue, disagree, debate about exactly what it looks like to love God and exactly what it looks like to love neighbor. But I think we're all pretty clear that those are the two big commandments. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a common question for for us that continues. Okay, what what does it take? You know, we see that in other stories in the Bible. Like the, is it the young, is it the young rich the ruler? Rich yeah. yeah. That's yeah. like, what do I need to do? I've right. done all this. Now what do I need to do? Right. So it's just ongoing question for us um what do i need to do mm-hmm. and i think this kind of points back to what we should do okay so how important was is deuteronomy 6 4 through 5 to the jewish people the new revised standard version has the shema which means mm-hmm. here so the sh- that that's from the first word of the this passage um it's a it's central to jewish theology and piety it's mm-hmm. It's prayed twice daily in classic Jewish tradition because it's it it uh, identifies God's faithful, the chosen people, Jews, as um, monotheistic, which was unusual, right? I mean, that was kind of a theological oddity in this right. day. So here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So there's one God, mm-hmm. and he's our God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what. That's how the New Revised Standard Version translates Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Sidebar. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Max this weekend stayed home on Sunday morning, which is pretty pretty unusual. He's had a crazy band schedule and he's getting over a cold, and we just wanted to have him take it easy and not share germs or anything. Yeah. <clears throat> but he's watching online because he's a preacher's kid, and so he texts me. Uh, at, I think he watched the 9:45 service. Um, that he was super impressed because his he's in AP Humanities as a freshman, and they're studying world religions. And they had just talked about the Shema. And he's like, "Dad, oh my gosh, you're talking about something that we talked about in Humanities." Oh, so that's cool. Proud moment, proud dad moment. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a 
this claim of God as our God with the first commandment of loving God with all, with everything that we have is just central to Jewish piety. So it, it's totally, I mean, of course that's where Jewish, uh, Jesus would start as a, as a Jewish rabbi. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the actual passage you read, well, not all of it, but Mark 12, 41 through 44. Yeah, the second passage. The second part. So he's got this exchange with the scribe and then some other stuff happens in the middle. Not very much. I just skipped over a few verses. And then we come back to the story of the widow's might at the end. Yeah. So pretty familiar. Um, but I have to say I learned some new things. Yeah. Even as a, someone that's read it uh, in terms of her giving. So you said in the Greek it says she gave her whole life. Uh -huh. Yeah. So the, the verse actually says, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. He's talking about the wealthy. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Yeah. That's which, what the translation says. Right, which you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I get it. But mm -hmm. then, I don't know, the way you phrase it, like gave her whole life. Yeah. I was like, the, the Greek there literally says gave her whole life. And so instead of, so we translate it as she gave all she had to live on. But what it literally says is she gave her whole life. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's, that's different. Like, it means like, her security, like every, uh -huh. like, I mean, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and she is, according to the Greek, destitute. Mm -hmm. It's not like she has less than everybody else. It's that she has nothing. Mm -hmm. Or like this much about two small copper coins above nothing. Yeah. And the two small copper coins were the smallest unit of money in the empire. So those two things that she had, which is entire, which everything that she has above nothing, she put in the treasury. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like she had a bunch of security. Like those two things weren't a, a big, and she gave it away. Right. In a time when widows yeah. had no provision. Right. There was no social safety net. Mm -mm. She had no, I mean, unless she has sons, she has no one in her life to care for her mm -hmm. or provide for her. And so this is why in the Old Testament, the, 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 I'm going to say constant refrain is our responsibility is to care for the widow. It starts with the widow, the mm -hmm. widow, the orphan, the poor, and the stranger. Yeah. The widow first because they have no other means of support. Yeah. So this woman who has no other means of support gives literally everything she has to the treasury. Mm -hmm. He doesn't compliment her though. Right. And so that's the other thing that I think I filled in. Like uh, the rest of the story. Oh, I think we always do. We all do. And I'm like. And I think lots of preachers do. Yeah. And <laughs> you brought up that he doesn't really praise her. Or he's not like applauding, making this big spectacle of it. But then he also doesn't condemn the rich mm -hmm. at the same time. And I never noticed that. He doesn't. like I mean, Right. You can read it a bunch of times. And there's no. It's not even necessarily applied. Uh, implied. Like it's not even. He's not even implying that the rich are bad. Mm -mm. I guess he maybe may like I don't, it, if we read it on its own merits without any kind of preconceived notions. Yeah, it doesn't even imply that he's that he's um, praising the widow. Yeah, he's just describing what he's seeing. Mm -hmm. And the the distinction that he's making is these folks are just kind of giving from what's left over. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the implication. Mm -hmm. um, and it's. I think this passage is is misused a lot, honestly, <clears throat> to guilt people into sacrificial giving. Uh -huh. Because that, I did um, 
Um, have you have you ever seen the, the feasting on the word? Uh, yes. Uh, what do you call it? Commentary. I think so. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. <clears throat> we have um, in our we have in our library. We do. Yeah. So I. This is going to sound like a casual flex. It's not intended to be. Okay. But I've got the I've got the commentary on this section. Okay. In, in that book, I, I think Jamie Clark Souls might have recommended me for it. Okay. So this is back when I was in Henrietta, so ten years ago. When I, so I took a deep dive on this, a real deep dive on this passage because they wanted me to write on it, and that's when it kind of first occurred to me <laughs> that he like he is describing something to make a point as opposed to uh, judging the actions of the people in the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to she gave her whole life, how does that tie back to loving God? Because that was our focus of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. So how does that connect it? For yeah. Us? So the my point is that if we're if we're going to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, at least part of that love has to include this one of the most ancient practices of our faith, which is the stewardship of our money, time and talents. And so in this scene, I mean, it's, it's in the same scene in the gospel, even though we've, we've skipped a couple of verses, he's just talked about what the essence of the gospel is. And then he sees this scene unfold in front of him that kind of makes the point about one of the key aspects that we, through, uh, means through which we love God. And that's, that's stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So in your 11 o'clock sermon, I don't know if you exactly said in your other and you're, I don't think you said 845. You might have said 945. But you talked about how the goal should be to give 10%. But I, something you said at 11 o'clock, I think you said something. It's not always achievable in certain times or seasons, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah. Because you just talked about how the the widow, sometimes the whole sacrificial giving the weight it's preached about can be wrong or guilty. or mm-hmm. um, Right. I mean, this often goes like, look at the the widow gave everything she had. You can't even give 10%. Like that's uh-huh. that's sometimes the way that passage is misused, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So um, <clears throat> a couple things. You know, what do you tell someone who is struggling to want or give more, but at a cost for needs? You know, what sacrificial giving? And then have there been times in your life where 10% was either not possible or really hard or just talk about oh, yeah, maybe yeah. your own experience. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first stewardship sermon I did here two years ago, so that was before you got here. That was pre-COVID and everything. Um, I kind of talked about the, the journey that Whitney and I took. Uh, I showed up as a young adult not really having any kind of idea what stewardship looked like. And this is why when we were at Rappahoe, I kind of wanted somebody to clearly set expectations for me. Mm-hmm. So is it... You know, I've got a $20 bill in my wallet, so that's what I put in the plate when it comes by. Mm-hmm. Is it, um, like, if I write a check, is it for, like, what? Well, uh, set my expectations. Uh-huh. And um, so <laughs> when we, when Whitney and I first started get, kind of getting serious about our, our religious um, life, you know, our spiritual journey, our relationship with church, all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, there was times, there were times when I gave way more to Starbucks and I gave it to church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not hard to do necessarily. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, especially I love Starbucks. Um, so to me, and the point that I made with the story of the widow's might is that like, and, and what I believe the point that Jesus is making is that it's a matter of, of priorities. So is, do you take this discipline seriously? If so, then do you look at it? 
intentionally. So when you look at your family budget or your personal budget, do you have giving as a part of that? And if not, you need to. And as each of us kind of grows in our faith and depending on what's going on in our life at the time, I mean, we should, everyone should be the, should either be tithing or working towards the goal of the tithe. That's the way I always phrase it. So maybe, I mean, to, for brand new people in the church, uh, I think the, the important advice is to start somewhere mm-hmm. and to start intentionally. And then each year to, it's not, un, not dissimilar to the concept of saving, you know, start somewhere and then grow as you can, um, throughout your life. Now, what we're teaching our kids is, uh, if you, if this is 100% of your money, 10% of it goes to savings and 10% of it goes to the church and don't even try to like, don't just assume you don't even have that available to you. Okay. Right. I mean, that's, I think that would be ideal, but most people don't show up in life like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very few people give their kids that kind of specific grounding. And so, um, you start somewhere and be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. What about, um, cause I'm just thinking through people that have certain seasons where it's like really hard, whether, um, let's say they have unexpected, lot of medical bills or different things like, and they committed to give, should they feel guilty of not being able to fulfill or like, how do you balance Cause it's not like they're just spending money on shopping, like things come up. So how do you, right, right. I don't know, how do we, what's the solution? I mean, I'd really, I'd really do think it comes down to priorities and intentionality. And there are, I mean, I'm a Methodist preacher, so no one should ever feel guilty about, it. I mean, the, the point of the generosity is not <laughs> the, the end, the end, the end, uh, result should never be guilt. Right. So if something comes up, something comes up. I mean, that's just life. If you lose your job, if you have to change jobs, if you have a baby you weren't expecting, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could come up in your life. Yeah. The point is, is it an intentional part of who you are? Mm-hmm. Is it an intentional, like, is just like prayer and uh, church attendance and, you know, Bible study, if you like Bible study and that kind of thing, is it just part of who you are and what you do? Mm-hmm. That's the point. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, there are times in, in life when we're called to sacrificially give, but that's, I would say that's, uh, I mean, as a pastor, I think that's rare. I mean, so like if we had some kind of emergency at church or whatever, if we had, um, if we're in the middle of a capital uh, campaign, then that's mm-hmm. you know, over and above giving. But just general, the general discipline of, um, of financial generosity and financial stewardship, intentionality is the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree. It's, you know, when things come up, like, don't lose, don't automatically cut. Okay, well, I guess I'm just not going to give anymore. That's how I can, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, always making it a priority, knowing that you're at least giving something, like you said, start somewhere. And so just making sure it never goes away, no matter what season you're in. Because mm-hmm. um, it's going to fluctuate and change. Yeah. Knowing that, like, my goal is I want to grow to be more generous, mm-hmm. you know, as time goes on, I guess, if you will, a little yeah. bit. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. And the, theologically, the way I would phrase that is that's who we're called to be. And so you kind of got to work everything around that, in my opinion. But I mean, life happens mm-hmm. to all of us. So, yeah. I'm actually going to go back in the beginning of your sermon. You said, 
Um, every follower of Christ is called to be a careful steward of our money, time, and talent, specifically with the mission of building and supporting our local congregation. But then you also later talked about being charter members, yeah, founding, member. founding members of churches. And so do you think that people that were here at the very beginning could have imagined what Christ United looks like today? No. Yeah? Yeah, no way. All right, no. I mean, Christ United is one of the largest churches in, in Methodism. Mm -hmm. And I just cannot, I mean, Plano was... Nothing. It was fields, right? It, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it felt like you were in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a native of Dallas. I, when we used to drive north, I remember when we, when we had friends that lived in Plano, it felt like the edge of the world. <laughs> so, I, no, I can't imagine they ever would have expected this. But, I, but that is, like, that is part of the beauty of being the church, right? You're planting seeds... Um, the fruit of which you probably won't see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the same with having kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what we're doing here today, the, the, the money that you and I give today, everyone who listens to this, the prayers and the, and the time and the financial support that we give the church today will, of course, it's going to impact 2022 and the year, the ministry ahead. But, it's also going to be setting the stage for a generation from now where our kids and grandkids hopefully are, are still doing ministry in the context of this congregation. And, um, like that's part of the beauty of being the church, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, you know, we we're all saints is coming up in a few weeks and we have this beautiful phrase, the communion of saints, which includes the saints in heaven and the saints here. That stream started, I mean, for our salvation history, it started with the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, and it will go until Jesus comes back and the final judgment happens. Mm -hmm. Being part of that stream is a tremendous gift and blessing. It's not a burden. It's not always easy. It's stressful sometimes. It's frustrating sometimes. Um, but it's, it is always blessing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just loved how you, because sometimes with giving, you know, or especially with capital campaigns more specifically, you know, you're like, well, we know we're building this or this very concrete thing. And so sometimes you feel like, well, what am I, what am I giving to? And it's reminding, I just think they call back to the charter members because some of them are still here. Uh -huh. Like I looked at, it, I was looking at it. Right. Of, yeah, and yeah. you're like, look like what you gave almost 50 years ago. Like it's, it's continuing to grow. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible. It's, and when you think about it that way, I think that kind of gives a little bit more excitement to know, like, I'm actually part of something that's not, that I may not see mm -hmm. or be part of. And that's, of course, we, we want that instant gratification. Like, that's just kind of how we are in the world now. Or, I mean, human history is what's in it for me. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. It's really exciting to think, okay, what is this church going to look like years and years and years? Yeah. And the the other reason I wanted to talk about that is... Because we're going to be building the post-pandemic church, mm -hmm. right? I mean, things look so much different uh, than like today than I would have expected the stewardship time two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so what the church looks like in its next uh, incarnation is entirely dependent upon the people who are either in the pews yesterday or watching online. Like we're, you know, we're investing in different types of technology. We're investing in different ty in different staffing models with, with Paige doing the mm -hmm. online ministry, off-campus ministries. None of that happens if we're not all committed 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're not planting a new church, and yes, we're not doing a capital campaign right now, but we're building in a in a way that's unique and different than we have have had to in the past. Yeah, which is it can be stressful, <laughs> but it's super exciting. Yeah, and going back to the thinking about Jesus saying, you "No, know, loving God and loving." your neighbor or loving others and all that when you give like it is a not only is it loving God but it's loving others because you're helping who knows who's going to come through the through the doors of the church like you're helping build something for them yep. and you're loving people that you will never meet just online yesterday I saw a comment uh, someone was watching with her mom in I think East Texas someplace and said thank you for providing this ministry mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean it's I think it's, you know, we get a lot, we can, it's easy to get kind of, um, I don't know if lost is the right word, caught up in the day to day and, um, not realize the impact this church has far, far beyond our walls. Yeah. And the fact that we all get to be part of that is, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's the most meaningful thing I can think of. Now, I, obviously I'm in, I'm a pastor, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a company man. Right. But I, I mean, I don't know of any other human endeavor that does that uh has that kind of impact mm-hmm. um you closed with this wonderful nigerian proverb so how do you find this stuff do you just google cool <laughs> stuff to close out sermon like do you have a site you use i wish it was that. i wish it was that because <laughs> can i can you send that to me <laughs> That'd be great. um so that is uh you know sometimes i find it throughout I, Various ways, but always, but always the Holy Spirit. It's always the Holy Spirit. It's not a cop out answer to say it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's that's how everything, all this kind of stuff happens. But I love it because it per- this particular proverb, um, from a from a part of the world that we don't necessarily think of as wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, perfectly cap, and also we don't necessarily think of it as Christian, even though there are plenty of Christians in Nigeria. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, but we'll, but. It, perfectly captures like this is like the work of the Holy Spirit also that this this saying this popular saying in one part of the world perfectly reflects this theology we're talking about in a very different part of the world that that calls back to theology that's 2,000 years old from the Middle East you know yeah and what was it read the proverb for us uh, it is the heart that does the giving the fingers only let go it's good it's good it's true I mean that is the point that's the point and um, I think you know all the we get bogged down in budgets and we get bogged down in, uh, I mean, here in the church, uh, uh, giving in and bills out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've, one of the charter members at Arapaho, uh, who's now deceased, used to say um, at this time of year, every year, that he remembered being on church council in the early days. And um, like the treasurer would come in with a report. And everyone on church council came with their checkbooks <laughs> because it was, it was like, we had, we have we can't pay the pastor if we don't come up with X amount of dollars, mm. divide it by 15 and everybody would write a check and cover it. Or we can't pay the apportionment, so we can't keep the lights on. Um, that kind of, uh, like specific commitment. There's this direct connection between stewardship and the life of the church. And sometimes we get bogged down in the worldly concerns about income and expenses and here's the goal for your giving and here's our strategic plan and all that. I've always, 
I have always firmly believed that if everybody in the church is prayerfully considering uh, how they're going to contribute to the life of the church, prayerfully considering, and um, is approaching it with a, with a spirit of, of generosity and um, discernment, that all the other details work themselves out. And to me, that story of the widow's might is Jesus making that point. Mm-hmm. Don't don't try to be a superhero and not pay your mortgage so that you can give to the church. That doesn't make any sense. But don't, you know, give the extra 20 that you were going to spend on a, on a couple of cups of coffee anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you, if you approach it with intentionality, then the details work themselves out. It's the heart that does the giving the fingers only let go. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is. All right. Anything else you want to say? No, um, so I'm ex- I, this. So this week, uh, I, we didn't say this at the top, but the stewardship campaign uh, follows the church's um, mission statement: so loving God, serving others, transforming lives. And last year, you got to do the serving others series uh, I, sermon. I did. I didn't get to do it, which is great because you did a wonderful job with that, as you always do. But I'm excited that I'm going to preach on that this week. So this coming Sunday will be serving others. Another, we're going to stay in Mark because we haven't given Mark mm-hmm. enough airtime this year. And I'm sure that'll be a, a good reminder of all the tangible ways that we serve the community. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Okay. A couple of reminders on dates for everybody. So uh, October 24th is Celebration Sunday. So everybody be praying about contributions for the coming year. Um, November 7th is the Memorial Concert for Pat Messick. Mm-hmm. That's going to be at 6.30 p.m. in the sanctuary. Uh, I was joking with my Bible study yesterday that everybody needs to pack a lunch or eat dinner ahead of time. <laughs> because it's, it's, be long. It's, it's a two-parter. There's an intermission at this one. Okay. So the first part's about Pat, and then the second part is the Mozart Requiem, which is beautiful. It's one of Pat's favorite pieces. Okay. And then we have all these musicians who are donating their time, uh, their uh-huh. love for Pat. I mean, it's going to be really, it's going to be great. But do eat ahead of time. <laughs> Um, and, or put something in the crock pot cause we're going to get out of here till after eight. <laughs> and then on November 14th is Don's celebration, uh, celebration of Don's ministry. Um, for brand new people, Reverend Don Underwood was our senior pastor for 37 years. He retired, is still on staff as pastor emeritus and director of donor relations. He's not riding off into the sunset, but we are going to take a, a special Sunday to celebrate him. So that's going to be one service, 10 AM in the sanctuary, no modern worship either. No 845, no 945, no 11. One service, 10 o'clock in the sanctuary. Announcement-wise, that's everything, right? Yeah, that's a lot of good stuff. That's a, it's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're the staff's pretty busy around here. And that's not, and we haven't even gotten to Advent yet at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good to be the church. All right, friends. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Off Script. We'll be back next week. It's always uh, an honor for us to spend some time with you during the week. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Rev. Chris Dowd and Rev. Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.